Coming November 15th, a brand new season of That's What She Did podcast. We'll be bringing you 10 inspiring women you probably don't already know. On this new season of the podcast, we're shining a light on women that are at the intersection of activism and storytelling. They're fearlessly using their art, expression, and personal narratives to change the world. You're going to hear from actors and playwrights, poets and artists, filmmakers and authors. There are women unapologetically challenging the status quo, and you need to hear their stories. Prepare to be inspired. This season, our fourth, is going to be pure fire. You don't want to miss this. Find it wherever you get your podcasts or on our website. That's what she did podcast.com. Hey there, inspiration junkies. It's me, Tangia Renee. You're listening to season four, episode six of That's What She Did podcast. And this week officially marks the middle of the season. We are halfway through. That means we're halfway to the end. Yeah, no, I don't think I'm quite ready for that. I have loved this season. All of the women on this season have been incredible. And I've just been so thrilled with the feedback and the growing listenership that we are experiencing. So thank you all so much for supporting the show, listening to the show especially, and for sharing. But as I've always said from the beginning, that I will produce this show as long as the audience wants it. And since we are now at officially the halfway point for season four, I need to start hearing from you again. I need to know, do you want a season five? Do we come back in March during Women's History Month to commemorate the month and bring out more incredible women for, to talk to, to be inspired by, and to be empowered with? You got to let your girl know. I'm only producing this show for as long as you want it. And if you don't want it, well, then okay. No harm, no foul. The best way for you to let me know is pretty simple. You can send me an email to that's what she did podcast at gmail.com. You can slide into our DMs on Instagram at that's what she did podcast.com. You can tweet at me, TWSD podcast on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. Whatever the thing is, you can leave us a comment in our feed. Let us know. Do you want the show back for season five? I hope you do. I love producing it, but I only want to produce it for as long as you want it. So reach out, send a carrier pigeon, do a DM, write me a note, whatever you got to do. Let your girl know. Are we coming back in March? I will be waiting on pins and needles for your response. Now. I want to introduce you to this week's guest. I have for you Angelica Maria Aguilera. She's an international touring Chicana poet and teaching artist from the San Fernando Valley in LA. Aguilera comes from a mixed family of immigrants and uses spoken word to rewrite the narrative of what it means to be Mexican, woman, and American. She's a TEDx speaker and leads various workshops at some of the country's most elite universities like Harvard Medical School, Boston University, and Tufts. She has also just recently released her newest collection of poetry called Body Flag. I loved having Angelica on the show and this discussion about the intersection of poetry, writing, and activism, and all the different ways that that can play out. Hope you enjoyed this as much as I did. Now let's get started. 
Joe and Helika. I'm so happy to have you here today. So excited to be here. Thank you. So I know that you're you're literally like airport hopping every single day from one city to the next because you are currently on tour and promoting not just your um, latest book and collaboration, Adios America, but several other things. We'll get to that later, but I appreciate you so much for taking some time because I know how that can go and it's exhausting. Of course. So, um, you know, as, as someone who is a poet and educator and artist and all the, this very multifaceted individual who is using your skill and artistry and story, <laughs> storytelling, <laughs> to specifically create impact in the world. You know, I'm interested in having this conversation with you for this season of the show around the intersection of storytelling and activism. And what does that really mean? Because I think traditionally, we don't actually think of that as a form of activism. Sure. And so I want to start to highlight this topic and say, I think there's a lot of facets to activism, to creating change in our social fabric. And it looks like a lot of different things. And I think when people, I think some people have, not some people, I think a lot of people have a negative connotation in their head around activism. Sure. And I don't think that they should. And so that was part of the inspiration of wanting to theme this season in that way. So I'd love to hear from you on um, where you see that intersection. Where do those things connect and why? Sure, definitely. And I agree. I think there's kind of this skewed perception of activism, unfortunately. Um, for me, a big thing I think about when it comes to storytelling is reclaiming narratives. Um, so I mean, specifically women, there's, there's parts of the world where women still don't have a voice, right? Where just speaking up puts them in danger. So I think just in that sense, right? Like women speaking up and saying, I demand this, um, this is what I am. This is what you're going to call me. Like that is so liberating and that is so powerful. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, I think in a world that is kind of constantly trying to silence us, right. Whether it's saying that we're crazy, you know, that's a form of silence. Um, you know, we're overreacting, we're being dramatic, this, that, and the third, like there is so many different channels that are trying to silence our voices. And when we get up on a stage and we share our story and we share our experience unapologetically and demand what is ours. There's so much power. Um, not only in the individual that's doing that, but in the room of women that are seeing a woman do that and realizing, wow, also I have power, right? Mm -hmm. So for me, it's really about claiming power that is ours and that is abundant in all of us um, and giving ourselves permission to take that space up and say, this is my story. This is what's mine. This is what I'm demanding, right? Um, so yeah, I think there's there's so many ways in which storytelling can be activism, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, it's, for me, it's really, even in Adios America, there's so many words, right? In Spanish that we are reclaiming a big word that I like to reclaim is chismosa, right? It's mm -hmm. this word that is like this negative term for women that speak a lot. Why do we, why do we have a negative connotation for women that speak a lot? Right? Like mm -hmm. women should, we should speak a lot. We, that means we have ideas and we have things to say. And that's actually a great thing. So let's talk about that and let's find a way to reclaim that word and make it ours and make it something positive. So there's so many ways that we can use language to really rewrite all of these negative narratives that put us in a box mm -hmm. um, and make them ours and make them something that actually supports us and empowers us. So to me, like that's really where storytelling has an intersection in activism. 
Yeah. So you talk a lot about rewriting narratives, and I know you've described yourself as a Chicana poet and teacher that uses spoken words specifically to rewrite the narrative of what it means to be an American, a Mexican, and a woman. Sure. What does that mean for those people listening that are like, what does that mean? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And I think that really comes from, especially here in the United States, like so much of us, so many of us have such a nuanced identity, right? Like, it's not like we just belong to this race or we just or we just speak this language. Like so many of our identities have multitudes inside them, right? And that all each have their own connotations. So as women, how can we live inside of these connotations, these identities, and still be fully ourselves, right? Still embody all of them. So to me, um, like rewriting that narrative really is like the ability to be free in each one of them, right? And being a woman, right? Is means being able to be a woman in the way that I want to be a woman. Um, being Mexican in the way that I want to be a Mexican. I don't need to, you know, speak perfect Spanish. I don't need to wear a sombrero every single day to prove that I'm Mexican. I don't need to, you know, silence myself and be afraid of taking up space because I'm a woman. You know, I, I need to be able to show up as myself in all of those identities and hold that um, in a way that is, that is liberating and that is free. Um, so for me, like writing is a tool to do that. And is a, is a tool for me to unwrite what is already keeping me inside certain boxes, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, so for me, I don't, I feel like I don't have a narrative for these things, for these identities, but for me, the liberation is having the space to create, right. This constant to keep creating and keep writing um, inside of those identities in a way that is true to myself, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. It does. And I wonder, so my, I guess my, I have a lot of questions, like so many questions, I don't even know where to start, but (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll start with this one. So you're talking about people embracing the multifaceted of their identities. Like you can be Mexican and be American at the same time, right? Right. You can be Brown and you can be black at the same time. And that's specifically where I want to center this this next question is what advice do you have to people that are struggling with multi identities, this Mm -hmm. understanding that, you don't fit in a box. I'll give you an example. So I'm, I identify as Afro-Latina. I'm half black. I'm half Latina. Right. And, um, I specifically don't identify as Chicana. I specifically don't identify as Hispanic. Right. I specifically don't identify as African-American. If somebody asks me my race, I say black. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I don't struggle with that. Right. But right. other people do. And so I'm always I'm curious to know what you would say to somebody who's whatever the, the multi levels of their identity are, are struggling with the language or where to how to embrace that. What is a starting point? Sure. Yeah, I think I mean, I definitely think it's kind of, you know, there's definitely like a pragmatic approach to that is like figuring out like, what is my actual ancestry, right? Like, where do I come from? But I think a lot of it too, is kind of just like accepting the reality. I know so many people that, you know, have roots from, from different places, but don't feel connected to those. Right. Or there's like a lot of first gen Latinas, right. That don't speak a word of Spanish because of assimilation. 
And so it's kind of like, I think realizing that you don't need to know every single aspect of this culture or this race that is part of you to know that that is part of you, right? Mm -hmm. To know that that is who you are. Um, that might not take up every aspect of your identity and how you navigate the world, but that is a part of you. And so for me, it's really like living with duality and living with this nuance. And, and with that, of course, comes recognizing privilege, right? Too, especially within Latinidad. Like that's something mm -hmm. I think about a lot too, is that we have to look at, you know, the spectrum of identities within Latinidad and which ones are safer, right? right. Um, and it's always light skin. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's always, it's always the closest to white is what's praised, right? Um, so I think that's something to think about too, is like, how does my identity help me navigate the world? Um, and recognizing the privilege in that. So I think it's, it's really that. It's really just learning to live with nuance, you know? And yeah, I mean, there's, again, like assimilation has caused us and recognizing, right? Assimilation has caused us to lose so many parts of our identity, right? Mm -hmm. And that's no one's fault. Um, and that's not something that you should feel shameful for, that you're, you know, you're this race and you don't speak this language. Like, again, that's like a violent assimilation that was put on you. That doesn't mean that you don't belong to that um, in some way. So. Um, yeah, I think it, but I do think it's a lot of personal work too, right. Yeah. Um, of how you want to, how you want to identify. Um, but I think ultimately, yeah, it's, it's kind of just living with nuance and knowing that it's okay to have a hyphen in your identity. Um, so I want to shift a little bit and talk about Adios America, because I know you are on, on tour for it right now. It's a book. Yeah. Um, was this whole concept of embracing the nuances of your of identities inspiration for Adios America? Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I identify as Chicana. Melania, who is my partner in touring, is Afro-Latina and she identifies as Afro-Latina. So when we were talking about doing a tour on Latinidad, right, to me, it felt like, okay, if I am, if we are trying to represent Latinidad, we need to represent a spectrum, right? We need almost two opposites um, of the spectrum to really showcase right. that Latinidad is not one thing. It's not one color. It's not what you see on television, in media of these like mm -hmm. super white looking, blonde, blue eyed dudes, like. This is not Latinidad, right? Um, so that was definitely a big influence. And even in, in the poems that we wrote, you know, we, we specifically wanted to include pieces that showed the differences in our experience, right? Um, and, you know, how in many cases, being Afro-Latina is almost like not believed. It's almost like this myth, this anomaly that people are like, what? Um, a Black person speaking Spanish? What? And mm -hmm. if you're someone that is Latina, like I'm sure you've met someone that is black and speaks Spanish. Like I'm sure, you know, like we all know people that exist this way, but because it's not in media, because it's not highlighted, like it's this thing that is not really talked about. It's kind of pushed under the carpet. And therefore, you know, people are, are erased within this identity, within Latinidad, their own culture, right? They're not seen. Um, so that's a big thing that we wanted to talk about for our set. Um, and with that, of course, talks about anti-blackness, you know, um, mm -hmm. 
the the presence of white supremacy within Latinidad, you know, for a lot of Latinos, it's easy to say, oh, white people are racist, but it's not easy for us to look at each other, to look at your grandpa who is anti-black and say, hey, you know, that's not right. Um, and so, yeah, that was a big part of us forming Adios America. What has been the um, reception on it? Because like Afro-Latina is a word that I hadn't even heard until I was well into adulthood, right? And so yeah. everybody, my whole life would be like, what are you? Or give me right. the, the exotic word, which is the right. thing. People listening, don't call other humans exotic. <laughs> it's a term, Please. It's a Please. term that is used for animals historically. <laughs> or fruits, <laughs> or okay? Fruits. We're not a mango, yeah. all right? Thank you. Well, I always just think, I always hated it because as a kid, I remember going to the zoo and there used to be this exhibit in the Denver Zoo that was like, it was all tropical animals. So there's like crocodiles and flamingos and stuff. Yeah. And it was like the world of exotic animals. And so I always associated <laughs> Absolutely. exotic with animals. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> so exactly. Exotic and I would be like, I don't, what? <laughs> Literally. It's like a lazy way of saying, I know you're not from here. I know you're not white. What yeah. are you? What are you? Right. I actually have a whole poem on being called exotic. So I love that you brought that up. Yes. Yes. And they, and people say, and they think that they, it's a compliment. I'm like, that's not a compliment. Never. It's Never. Not, not a word once. that you use for humans. Absolutely anyway, not. <laughs> so, I wonder what, I'm curious to know what the reception has been, because again, Afro-Latina is a new term, at least it you know, it was new to me until like, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago is when I was like, sure. wait, when I heard it for the first time and I was like, wait, I think that might be me. Hold on. Sure. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think there's still a lot of people that are like, what does that mean? Why yeah. should I care? Even yeah. in the both black and Latin communities. So right. what has been the reception? Sure. Um, honestly, it's been I don't know. I think when we were planning the tour, we didn't really realize what we were doing. We kind of were just like, let's share stories that we think are important. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of really wild to see the feedback from women um, of, again, a spectrum of identities that come up to after the show and are crying and are like, I've never heard my story out loud. I never feel like I have been seen in the way that I've been seen. And again, like from from women of all different backgrounds, you know, women that um, were born in Colombia and grew up here and maybe grew up with like a white family and they, they have a strange understanding of their own identity or, you know, women from the Caribbean that speak Spanish and they're like, I've never heard myself inside a poem and thank you so much, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, it's really because me and Melania have such different identities and experiences that were a lot that were allowed to create this experience right mm -hmm. um so yeah it's been honestly like very overwhelming and very um gratifying to kind of just be so affirmed by women's reactions um and yeah for, for a lot of women too it's 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 very emotional because a lot of the things that we bring up like are really not talked about, you know? Uh, we talk a lot about machismo, we talk about femicide, mm -hmm. you know, how prevalent femicide is in Latin America. And although we talk about all these things, um, but yes, to answer your question, the feedback from women has been incredible and more than I feel like I ever could have imagined. I know that you 
in your tour and, and in your the workshops and the other work that you do, you've worked with, you know, some big universities. You're often in university spaces, like you've been down in, in you know, in Boston and in Harvard and other universities like that. And I thought that was really interesting because those are not the places that you would typically expect to have anything like this kind of conversation there. So how does that even happen? Sure. Yeah. Um, Definitely. It happens by um, incredible women who work in these spaces and are in dire need of these conversations um, and are willing to put in the work to put a show on at these places. Um, because yeah, I'm sure the heads of these universities are not interested <laughs> in these conversations. Yeah. So it really comes down to organizers and women that relate to what we're talking about, um, being passionate about putting these shows on for other students at the universities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you consider what you're doing? Um, do you consider it activism? I feel um a little strange about the word just because I think it is such a broad word, right? Activism, Mm -hmm. I think, encompasses so many things. And I like to also acknowledge that, you know, there's, there's different levels of activism for sure. So I think what, you know, what people are doing, um, on the front lines are, is definitely not the same as what I'm doing, right? Like the level of necessity of activism, um, that's more at the floor level, I think is completely different than what I'm doing. Um, do I think that us telling stories that are hardly ever heard, um, in a room full of women that have never heard these stories is empowering and is changing things? Yes. Um, but I don't really like to like stand up and say I am an activist, um, Mm -hmm. because I'm not sure that, um, I fully embody that word in the way that other activists do. So I think for me, it's just kind of like paying respects to um, the extremity of that word, right? Of what that can mean for people that are really like risking their lives to be activists, you know? Um, But I do think that uh, if we're looking at the root of that word in in terms of change and power, then I I do think we embody those for sure. And I myself do. Yeah, I think think that there are levels. I think that there are... There are different ways to challenge the status quo. Sure. Um, and I, I think it's been interesting in, in having different guests on for this season around this theme. You know, some women are like, yeah, I consider what I do activism. Yeah. It's different and all very clear on, listen, I'm not on the street. Sure. I'm <laughs> not, you know, putting my body in dangerous spaces, but it's still valid. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just, it's interesting to me that, and um, I think it's like just something that we don't really think about a lot. You know, it's like, are you having, I always wonder, you know, does like this show in particular, it's, um, I started it mostly because I wanted A, to learn how to podcast and B, I wanted to hear a show that was about women that I was interested in and not, you know, some other celebrity or something. And I started doing the show and somebody was like, oh, you're, you're in media. And I was like, no, I'm not in, what? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I was like, oh, I, okay, yeah, this is media, fair, fine. Right. And then the, the next person was like, oh, you're in media, you're, you're advocating for women. And I was like, 
am I? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and so I sort of had to come to terms with that. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I, I do feel like I have a responsibility here. And so it's been interesting to, wa- to learn and, and be in this sort of medium that I didn't know I was like, quote unquote, an activist just for existing in the space right. because it's something like 4% of people creating podcasts are women of color, wow. 4%. Wow. It might even be less than that. Yes. <laughs> and so I didn't realize that until somebody pointed it out to me and they were like, actually, what you're doing is kind of a form of activism because, because no one, no one really is doing it. Right. And it, yeah, it comes to the point where the work kind of becomes bigger than you, you know, in mm-hmm. ways that you didn't really imagine. Right, exactly. So it's just an interesting conversation where you find yourself doing something because why, you know, whatever reason you, it's fun. You have talent for it. You, you just wanted to learn something new. You end up doing this thing and you exist in this space. And then people are like, wait, recognize that this is having an impact somewhere. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. It's fascinating. Um, I want to, I want to go back to sort of the, the previous statement around rewriting narratives. And what does that really mean to you as a Chicana poet, a writer, a, at the very least, an advocate? Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Why is that important? Yeah, I think for me, as, as far as, you know, the motive behind getting involved with literature and being first moved by literature, I think what really fascinated me was the idea of magical realism in fiction and is something that is often used in poetry, too which is the ability to literally create um, utopian worlds that you want to live in, right? And um, Toni Morrison does this a lot too, where it's kind of, we create this world where none of the toxic, horrible, racist, sexist stuff exists. And when we do that, we're able to look at it and realize why does the world not already look like this, right? Um, Mm -hmm. we create parallels and it's empowering too, you know, where in this world, women of color are CEOs and women of color are president and they run everything. And, you know, women are not violated and kidnapped and, you know, it's to create that and to put that on paper and to put that into the universe is extremely powerful. And to me, as someone that kind of grew up feeling like I didn't have a lot of power, like I was kind of I live in this Mm -hmm. messed up world and it's all hopeless. I think for any young woman, it's very empowering to, you know, take the pen into your own hand and say, no, this is going to be the story I make. This is the world I create. You know, Um, this is the world I choose to live in. This is the narrative I choose to live in. Um, So for me, yeah, I mean, I have, I have this one, um, this one poem about how gold hoop earrings have magical powers. And yeah, because they really do, right? Like they really do. And it's kind of about how like we have our ears pierced at birth because that's like the beginning of the metamorphosis. That's like the wound (laughs) where the power enters us, right? And it's flipping this narrative again about like hoop earrings are trashy and they're, you know, they're for a certain type of woman, right? They grows up in the hood. They're tacky. They're this. It means you're poor. Um, and actually like you can say, no, like this is again, a part of my culture. This is, I've seen women that are so powerful that I admire wearing gold hoops. You know, it's kind of, it's, you get to rewrite that narrative and that's, that's really powerful, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. so for me, like that's really where the attraction was, was the fact that, okay, I might feel helpless. I might feel like I have 
no power, but what I can do is create this reality that I want to live in. Um, and you know, create these stories where, where the people that look like me win, you know? Um, and yeah, I think that's really, really healthy for anyone in the times that we live in. Yeah. When did you realize that there was power in that, the act of writing and then getting that out into the world with it? Sure. I think the power of storytelling, my first open mic was actually here in Boston. Um, and that was before I joined the slam team there. And then we ended up going to national competitions and it kind of just like grew and grew and grew, but definitely going to the first open mic and seeing these incredible people just go up on a microphone, demand space, speak their truth and just feeling so moved. Right. Because when you see someone do that, your instant thought is I could do that. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. Hey, I could write something and I could say it up on a microphone. I have stories to tell. I have things to share. I've lived through stuff. Right. So, um, for me, definitely like seeing, um, poets just step on a stage and demand space in a way that was just really empowering, um, definitely changed my life and, and gave me the, the thought that I could do that too. Do you, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to engage on issues in the world. It's, I find for me personally, I find writing and poetry and art a particularly impactful way because it just resonates with me on a a deeply personal level but you could choose to use your skills and talent in any way so why Mm. do you do it this way Mm, sure I think poetry is really interesting right and I think one of the greatest things about poetry is how accessible it is um it's not you know learning the cello where you need to invest money and you need to buy all these, these fancy instruments and you need to you know anyone can step up and recite a poem. Anyone can find a pen and scribble it on a napkin if they knew to, right? It's, it's really kind of the most accessible form of art, which I think really is what makes it revolutionary, um, specifically like spoken word in general, um, because it's, it's fair game for anyone, you know? Um, so for me, that was initially really what I loved about it. And being, you know, a broke college student and knowing that I didn't have to invest any money in it was, was great. Um, and I also, I just, I grew up reading and I, I just, I think I, it was installed in me young, the power of words. Um, and I remember very clearly kind of just reading some of my first books and just being moved by the way that the author put them together and just thinking, wow, you know, if I could learn to do that, like I could, I could really change things. Mm -hmm. What is the impact that you hope to have in the world? Mm, I think the biggest thing I can do. And I think as far as just what I've seen in the work that I've done so far is really just give other women, um, the thought, right? Because I think it kind of all starts with the thought that their voice matters and there is power in their voice and in their story and in their narrative. Um, and I think that's kind of how we really change things, right? It's like, it starts with a ripple um, and then it turns into a wave. So I think that's really what I, what I hope to do. I don't hope to, you know, sell the most books in the world and do all of that. I really hope that women that were like me, you know, that felt helpless and felt powerless um, can see a woman up on a stage with, 
you know, all of these stories, this, this multitude of identities, these, you know, and know that uh, what they have to say matters. What do you see happening in, for you in the next, I don't know, three to five years? Where are you going next? Ooh, that's a good What's question. <laughs> um, so I'll definitely be traveling for the next few months. Um, still on tour, but I'm actually planning on um, moving to Mexico in March. So mm-hmm. I've always wanted to spend time and live in Mexico City. So I have a bunch of friends there. I did the, um, the National Poetry Museum in Mexico City. I ran workshops for them. So I have a lot of friends down there. Um, and I really want to just open up my studio for my Etsy shop. So I have mm-hmm. kind of a lot of downtime between shows during the month. Um, so I really want to grow my Etsy shop that, again, it's sustainable clothing. It's all made from recycled materials. Um, fast fashion, again, is something that is slowly killing the world. But the other mm-hmm. thing about fast fashion, again, and, and this is the strange part, right, is that it always goes back to the labor of women. So fast fashion okay. only exists because of 12-year-old girls that are employed and paid nothing to create these clothing, right? Um, and fashion that is something so cool, again, something we use to empower ourselves, shouldn't have that attached to it, right? Um, so eventually I want to be at the point where I can employ women in vulnerable situations to work mm-hmm. at the shop. Um, I've done a lot of research on femicide and I've worked with um, a brand in Juarez, Mexico that they specifically, all of their clothing works to raise awareness for femicide. Um, mainly the women that, especially in Juarez, fall victim to femicide are women that work in the maquiladoras. So these factories mm-hmm. where they get paid nothing. Um, so if I can create a space for women to work that is safe and also where they are empowered and they are, you know, doing what they know how to do, that will just be another level. Um, I feel like of my dream, um, Mm -hmm. and just continue traveling, um, and telling stories and, and getting this book out that I'm working on and have been working on for quite some time. Um, so body flag is the prelude body flag is out. Um, but this new book is called America as she, um, and it's really tying together the themes of America as a body. Um, what interested me is the fact that linguistically we refer to America as she, right? So we gender, um, America inherently. It's something that we've just done historically. Um, Mm -hmm. and we also refer to ships and cars as she, so looking at America, right. As this body that has been stolen and violated for how many years and what are the parallels to a woman's body here? Um, so fascinating. So that's, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, those are the main themes of this book. I've been working on it for so long and I'm really excited for it to be done. Um, it should be done in the next few months. So my editor is looking at it right now. So getting that book out, continue to traveling, um, continuing growing my Etsy business and hopefully continue to empower women that see themselves in the stories that I'm sharing. Wonderful. What is the name of your Etsy shop so our folks can find it? Yeah, it's called Mala Sews. So M-A-L-A-S-E-W-S. Also, if you go to my Instagram, it's right in the bio and you can find okay. it there. We will link to all your places in the show notes for cool. our folks to be able to connect with you. Cool. Uh, what is the best place for them to connect with you? I would say best place is probably you can 
definitely hit me up on Instagram, but I would say the best place would be through my email. Um, and that is on my website. So if you head to my website, you'll find my email immediately on there. All right. Check the show notes. And Helika, thank you so much for taking some time off the tour and chatting with us today. Of course. Thank you. It's been great. All right, folks, make sure you check out Mala Souls on Etsy. Check out uh, Angelica's Etsy shop and the books that are out now. Adios America is very good. You should check it out. <laughs> and on the website, there are several um, of your poetry slams of Angelica's poetry and yes, a TED Talk as definitely. well. It's also very good. Yes. So I encourage you to go there. Again, linked in the show notes. Go check it out. Figure out a way to connect with Angelica and support. Yes. Are you at a university? Are you someplace that you can bring hey. Angelica or Adios America team out and do some workshops? Yes. Get some learning done. Make it happen. You Get guys free. are a network of, of empowering and impactful women. So reach out, make your connections, make it happen. Yes. We're going to cut it here. Thank you guys all for joining us. As you know, the best way that you can support the show is by hitting the subscribe button and sharing this episode with anybody you know is going to find value with it. And that's how we've grown this show to 36 countries. Hey. So just keep sharing. Thank you for doing that. And be badass and stay gorgeous. Yes. Until next time, <laughs> we're out.